Good morning, Redemption Arcadia. Thanks for being here with us. Uh, let's stand and sing this song. We've sung it a couple times before, but um, it's a song that's talking about God bringing us back to life, and it, it's really sweet uh, to focus on the lyrics and, and think about what we're saying as, as we shout triumphantly to the Lord. Let's sing together. Saturday was silent, surely it was through Since when has impossible ever stopped you? Silent appointment, is Sunday's empty tomb Since when has impossible ever stopped you? This is the sound of dry bones rattling. This is the praise make a dead man walk again. Open the grave, I'm coming out. I'm gonna live, gonna live again. This is the sound of dry bones rattling. Sound of dry bones rattling. 
This is the phrase, make a dead man walk again Open the grave, I'm coming out I'm gonna live, gonna live again Open the grave, I'm coming out I'm gonna live Open the grave, I'm coming out I'm gonna live, gonna live again This is the sound of dry bones rattling for singing with us. Uh, Let's read this confession together. In the midst of whatever follows, O Lord, let me meet your mercies anew and anew and anew. In the midst of my dismay, fix my eyes again and again upon your eternal promises, praying thy will be done and trusting by faith that it will be done that it is being done, even now, even in the disquiet. I am utterly yours, O Christ. In the midst of my uncertainty, I abandon myself again to you, the author and the object of all my truest hopes. Amen. Beautiful things you make beautiful things 
claimed its victory The king of love had given up his life The darkest day in history There on a cross they made for sinners For every curse his blood atoned One final breath and it was finished But not the end we could have known For the earth began to shake And the veil was torn What sacrifice was made As the heavens Confess that he is alone. Lift 
standing for the reading of God's word. Good morning. Today's reading is from John chapter 7, verses 25 to 39. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour has not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, You will seek me and you will not find me? And where I am, you cannot come. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. This is the reading of the word. You may be seated. All right. Thank you, Sherry. Good morning, Redemption Arcadia. How are you? Yeah, okay. I hope you're more excited this afternoon. Or actually, we're in Arcadia. Nobody watches, well, not very many people watch football here. I suppose if there was a soccer match, you guys would be excited. Anyway, good, uh, see, uh, good to see you all this morning. My name is Frank. If you're new, we're glad that you are here. This is Tyler Thompson. He's, he and I are both pastors here. Tyler does 
uh, all the worship stuff and uh, the small groups, what we call redemption communities. Uh, I do a lot more of the preaching. And I know some of you right now, even when you walked in and saw two chairs up here again, you're like, oh, is this going to be the new preaching format from now and forevermore? And uh, the answer to that is no. Um, We just felt as a pastoral staff that for whatever reason, uh, last week's passage and this week's passage lended itself to what we would call dueling preaching. By the way, neither of us play the banjo, so it can't be dueling banjos, so we're doing dueling preaching. Um, And and so we thought we'd do this uh, two times in a row. It doesn't mean we'll never do it again. For those of you who really love the dueling preaching, Next week, we're going to have a talking head up here again, so, and it'll be like that for a while, uh, but we will do dueling preaching uh, more in the future because people seem to like the little change up uh, when we do that, so that's, that's uh, uh, just something that we're working on. We're working through the Gospel of John, and we're in chapter 7, and I'll get back to introducing that a little bit more in a second, but I wanted to ask Tyler to tell us about Ash Wednesday, which is coming up. Sure. We're going to have an Ash Wednesday service. It'll be February 17th. Uh, We're going to have them at 7 a.m. in the morning and 7 p.m. in the evening. So hopefully that one of those will work well for your schedule. And it's the start of what is called the Lent season and uh, uh, running up to Good Friday, Holy Week, Good Friday, and Easter. Uh, So we also want to let you know that we will be having Good Friday services and we'll have Easter services as well. Uh, So make sure to mark your calendars to be here with us on those dates. Uh, But coming up this, uh, not this Wednesday, but February 17th, Wednesday, February February 17th, we'll have two Ash Wednesday services, 7 a.m., 7 p.m. They're going to be short, about 30 minutes. Uh, That way you can uh, get on with your day if if you come or or finish your day uh, if you come in the evening. And so we hope you join us for that. Okay. And one other uh, update I just thought I'd give you. I wasn't planning on saying anything until yesterday. Um, Most of you know our student ministry is away this weekend. Uh, Trey, who was up here with me last week, uh, his leadership and all of our middle and high schoolers, middle schoolers and high schoolers, uh, are up at Prescott Pines uh, Camp. Uh, Jackie and I uh, actually drove up there yesterday, and I got a chance to spend about four hours with them Uh, doing the various things up at the camp, and I'm really glad I went uh, for two reasons. One, uh, as some of you know, we had to change last minute from Mountain Meadows up near Payson to Prescott Pines because Mountain Meadows decided um, uh, they weren't going to be able to accommodate us, and so we joined with several other churches at Prescott Pines. The first thing I will tell you is uh, I've been around a lot of camps. You know, I go to the camp in in Iowa every summer and and usually every spring. Prescott Pines Camp is a really impressive camp. It's a great camp. I was, I was uh, blown away uh, by the organization and everything there. Really good. So you're, uh, you're, if your children are up there, they were well taken care of. Uh, but even more so, I got a chance to see Trey and the student ministry leadership, the volunteers in action, and I was really blown away by them. Really, really impressive, mm-hmm. the team that... Trey has built, again, I believe your children are in uh, good hands, and uh, we're glad that we've got Trey doing that for us now. So, All right, so we are into chapter 7. Um, uh, this chapter starts kind of a long process narrative of Jesus interacting with a lot of people in and around Jerusalem and the temple, and uh, there, we're, we're beginning this week to start to see some division among the people. That first paragraph that Sherry read, there's three paragraphs again in this passage, just like last week. That first paragraph that Sherry read demonstrates that 
sort of the rank and file people are beginning to question the judgment of the religious leaders uh, in the area. They're wondering what they're thinking. Uh, the rank and file kind of has some thoughts about Jesus, but even in the midst of all of this dissension and potential division, and the division gets even sharper next week, uh, even in the midst of all of that, uh, people begin to believe in Jesus. And, and it does create this, this tension all around everything that Jesus is doing. And of course, this is now the result of what happened last week. Jesus wasn't going to go up to the Feast of Booths, and then he decided to go up, but go up privately so that nobody knew he was there. And then uh, in the middle of all of that, he decides to walk into the temple and start teaching. So now he's there quite publicly. And People wanted him to be there publicly. They wanted to hear him. They wanted to see him uh, either to hear more from him because they knew that he was special or because they wanted to identify him and find out where he was so that they could begin the process of possibly capturing him and, and uh, executing him. So that's where we are. And going into this passage, I want to mention three things. We, we may not mention these things again explicitly, but as we go through these three paragraphs, I think you'll see three things, three themes begin to emerge, and here they are. Number one, Jesus does not shy away from who he is. He never shies away from who he is. It doesn't matter what the cost is going to be. He refuses to shy away from who he is, and that's a big deal. Uh, the second thing that's interesting is that Jesus is at peace with disappointing people. Uh, he, he routinely disappoints people. Uh, he tells them truth that does not line up with their personal truth or their traditional truth or the truth that they've been taught for a long time. He, he routinely tells them things that are going to cost him something, that are going to get him into trouble. He's not interested in having a lot of followers uh, unless they really believe in who he is. He's not interested in appeasing or pacifying anybody. He's willing to disappoint uh, people. I think that's uh, helpful and instructive for us. And then this last one, Jesus is highly differentiated from others because he's connected to the Father. That might be the strongest theme that we see. We saw it last week. We, we're going to see it this week. We're going to see it in uh, several of the chapters going forward, how he keeps going back to the fact that he is connected to God. He is connected to his Father, and that's why he must teach and do and say the things that he's doing because he was sent there by the Father. I and the Father are one, he says in, in John chapter 10, and therefore he must do what the Father calls him to do. And so because he's connected to the Father and he's not connected to all of the pressures of being a human being, he's highly differentiated from not only from the people in his context, the people that he's talking to there, but he's differentiated from us as well. And that's why we need to look at him as the exalted Messiah and, and we need to submit our lives uh, to him. So just like last week, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read uh, one of the paragraphs at a time and then I'm going to ask uh, Tyler to talk a little bit about it and we'll just have a conversation about each of these paragraphs. So starting uh, chapter 7, verse 25. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, uh, this is in response to Jesus talking about Moses and accusing them of not really following the law. They said, is this not the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly. I would even say, and yet here he is speaking openly. And they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this man is the Christ? 
they're, they're saying not, we think he's the Christ and we're glad that the authorities are coming along now and believing he's the Christ. They're actually saying, we don't think he's the Christ, but maybe the authorities do and that wouldn't be a good thing. They're really questioning the authorities' judgment here. Because they say in verse 27, but we know where this man comes from. He came from Galilee. That's an insult. But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. Here's that highly differentiated, connected to the Father. He who sent me is true and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? A lot going on in that paragraph, so just start talking, and I'll tell you <laughs> sure. where you're wrong or where you're right. Okay? Perfect. So, okay. That sounds great. Uh, a few things jump out at me. The first that jumps out at me is, is this idea that you said that Jesus is comfortable with people. Um, he's at peace with people misunderstanding him or even being upset with him. And uh, the reason this jumps out at me is because um, I'm generally not very good at being misunderstood. Neither am I. Uh, when, when I'm misunderstood, I'm, I tend to try to uh, correct people's uh, concept of me or I, I try to defend myself. Because it's always their fault, right? Yeah, that's right, because they're wrong. Amen. Right. Yeah. Okay. And so, I'm gen in general, I'm not very good at, at being misunderstood. And, uh, in fact, I, I really don't like that. Uh, Jesus seems to be actually pretty comfortable with being misunderstood. And I think part of where this comes from is he recognizes that people are going to misunderstand him. Yeah. That there are, and in this crowd, represented here in this passage, we have a few different responses. Uh, there are people who, by the end of this first passage, this first paragraph, there are people who believe. And he knows, he knows there are going to be people who believe. Yeah. Uh, there are people who really are uh, confused yeah. and don't understand what's going on, He's, he, that, don't, that don't understand him. And he knows there's going to be people like that. Uh, and there are people who are starting to be really threatened by Jesus, yeah. really worried about what this means for their own kingdoms. So we see this, this, this diverse re reaction to who Jesus is. And of course, that has continued to today as well. We have some people who, in this world who, who hear about Jesus, who believe. There are some people who have some confused ideas of who he is. And there are others who think that he um, really is a threat to their kingdom. Yes, that, that's a big deal. The idea that Jesus will always end up opposing what your kingdom is that you have built if it is not built on who Jesus is. That's There's right. going to be a problem there. Um, what about verse uh, 28? So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me, you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. This is not the first time or the last time that they're going to make a big deal about where he comes from, meaning geographically mm -hmm. where he comes from, or even um, genetically, you know, generationally where he comes from. They keep making a big deal about that as if that is going to impugn his claims to divinity, his claims to the Messiahship. And Jesus keeps coming back and saying essentially this, it does not matter where I came from, what matters is who I came from. Mm -hmm. 
and you don't seem to get that. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I think that's right. There's uh, excuses that people are coming up with for why he cannot possibly be the Messiah. Yeah. And I think we tend to come up with these kinds of excuses as well. Sure. Um, it's, we have these conceptions in our mind, preconceptions, about who the Messiah will be. And then when the Messiah actually appears, if it doesn't match up with our preconception, then we say, well, he can't possibly be the Messiah then. And uh, this is the response of the religious leaders at the time, many who said, this can't possibly be the Messiah because when he comes, he'll be like this. Uh, and I think that Jesus is reminding them that actually if there's a, a conflict between their conception and his conception, well, we know which one's in the right and which one's in the wrong. Uh, there are those, I think Jesus understands this, there are those whose minds will never be made up by anything that you're going to do, uh, anything that you throw at them. Yes. Um, and, and sometimes we come to the, the scripture this way as well. Sometimes we come to the Bible with our conception of who God must be. And then when we read something in here that doesn't line up with that and we say, well, that can't be right. Yeah. Uh, there's obviously some, some mistake here. Uh, instead, we have to understand that the word of God is, is what will shape our conception of who he is. Jesus himself is standing before the people saying, this is who I am. And, and we're dismissing him out of hand. And, and the irony of that is that what we do is we say, my experience, which, oh, by the way, this is never said, but my experience, which is actually tainted by the corruption of sin, does not line up with what Jesus says, which is tainted by no sin and is holy and is... Uh, and is actually capital T truth, we say that can't be true because it doesn't line up with my understanding and my uh, experience. Well, that's ridiculous. Your experience is corrupted by sin. And so that's why we have to look at him for actual genuine truth. And then what you said about how some people just won't ever believe. Our founding pastor, Tom Schrader, was pretty famous for saying all the time, uh, some people will not believe because... They will not believe. That's it. That's the reason. That there's no other reason to come. There's no, there's no evidence you have to. They just won't believe because they will not believe. And I think some of that's going on here as well. Yeah, I think that's right. He's, he's, he's saying that you do know where I come from. And actually, you're just not going to believe anyway. Yeah. Uh, and and I, it actually reminds me of one of the parables that he told in Luke chapter 20. Uh, this is the parable of the wicked tenants. And so I just thought I'd read that for sure. us as well. Uh, Luke chapter 20, and starting in verse 9, uh, Jesus began to tell the people this parable. He says, A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit from the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one they also wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him, so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. 
I'm just amazed by this passage that, that the owner is sending a servant after a servant after a servant until finally he sends his son. And even the son they, they want to reject and, and, and kill. Uh, it's just a reminder to us that we're so caught up in our own kingdoms and any threat to our kingdom, uh, we're going to respond negatively to. And so we have to understand that, that our minds can already be made up about this Jesus. Uh, and this is actually, as this passage warns us, this is actually death to us. Yes. It's, it's even, you could even tie that to Israel's history. God set, sent prophet after prophet after prophet, and then he finally sent his son. That's right. And it just didn't work. It didn't matter for those people that had a problem with it. Yeah. So then verse 30, I wanted to mention something about, so they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because mm -hmm. his hour had not yet come. This also um, becomes a theme and, and is a theme. We've already seen it throughout the Gospel of John, and it will continue. Uh, it's... it's um, Sometimes it's said, his hour has not come, my hour has not come. Sometimes it's said, my time has not yet come, my, uh, 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 the time for me to go has not yet come. Uh, this is a huge theme, and I'm even going to talk a little bit about this on Good Friday, uh, this theme of my time has not yet come. What I find interesting about this is that sometimes it's Jesus who's saying, I'm not going to go because my time has not yet come. And sometimes Jesus goes and exposes himself, and the text is very clear about this. It says, but no one laid a hand on him because his time had not yet come, which means his father was restricting them from getting him and holding him back. So Jesus would not go sometimes because it wasn't his time, uh, and sometimes he'd go and the father would hold them back in some manner or form. In either case, it was God dictating the, uh, the events that were happening and waiting until it was exactly the perfect time that Jesus would be um, tried and executed and rise from the, from, from the dead. Any, anything else there? Yeah, I'm fascinated by this, and, and I'm, because it's Super Bowl Sunday, I am going to make a football analogy for the football people that are out there. Uh, there is uh, clock management in football and, so there, and field, field position uh, in football where you actually, in terms of trying to score a touchdown, sometimes you won't score a touchdown because right. you're trying to manage the clock or you, or you won't proceed down uh, to get a touchdown. You won't put points on the board because you're waiting for a certain time to elapse on the clock. I'm just so impressed by Jesus knowing exactly the hour that he was to go to the cross, knowing exactly the time that he was to be taken, uh, that, he is, that he himself is not uh, allowing for the, that time to happen too soon or too late, uh, but he knows exactly when the fullness of time has come to be born. He knows exactly when his hour has come to, to go to the cross. That football illustration is great. I did not know you were going to say that, but it reminds me of that one time when the Cardinals were in the Super Bowl. Anybody remember that? <laughs> Do you remember what they said when the Cardinals went ahead in the fourth quarter? They scored too soon. Yeah, yeah. And sure enough, that was their demise. They gave uh, Pittsburgh too much. Uh, anyway, let's yeah, go back yeah, to yeah, the... Yeah. Anyway. Um, and we're then tracking. verse 31... Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? Those are the believing people, we think. Mm -hmm. Those are the believing people who are actually kind of sarcastically talking a little trash, saying, mm -hmm. obviously he's the Christ. There's no way that when this real Messiah that you think is yet to come is going to come and do more than 
this guy has done. Isn't that about right? Yeah, I think that's right. He's, they're saying, look at, all, look at who he is and what he's done. Uh, it's not possible that somebody will, will be able to do more than, than yeah. this. Uh, and they're looking at, at the way that he has uh, performed miracles already. They're looking at the way that he has authority in what he does and the authority in what he teaches as well. Yes. And they're saying there's not a, possible, there's not a possibility for somebody yeah. to come and be more than this. So they're believers, and maybe you've been in this, in this situation. They are believers who just can't understand why others can't see this, mm -hmm. why others can't get on board. So that next paragraph, the Pharisees, now you're getting the religious leaders involved, the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Just a little comment there, and Tyler had a great, I don't know, way that you said this, but the Pharisees and the chief priests would not have necessarily gotten along because most of the chief priests would have been Sadducees and they just don't get along. And yet they had a common enemy. So now it's like, you know, uh, they're friends because they have a common enemy. How, what is the way you said it? Do you have it written down? Somewhere? Yeah, I just think that they couldn't have been united in their religion, um, but they were united yes. in the fact that Jesus threatened their kingdom. They weren't united in their religion, but they were united in the fact that Jesus was threatening their power, their status, and everything that they had built their lives on yeah. at that point. So they wanted to send officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? And then I just laugh at the irony. I just laugh at this. Um, does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and to teach the Greeks? Hmm. What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me? And where I am, you cannot come. Mm -hmm. They're saying in their, uh, in, just in their hatred of Jesus, they're saying, the only place he could possibly go is someplace that we would never go. We, as religious Jews, would never go among the Greeks and start teaching the Greeks and start uh, relating to and with the Greeks and start being with the Greeks because that would make us unclean. He's not the Messiah. He's crazy. He must be going to the... That's where they went. Mm -hmm. And then we'll see also in the coming verses that he says this again and the next time he says it, they, they don't say he's going to the Greeks, but they're saying he's going to go and commit suicide, which would be another thing that would be anathema to them. They can never in the, get it in their minds that Jesus might be going somewhere good. Mm -hmm. He's only going somewhere that will make them feel better about their resistance to him. So mm -hmm. talk a little bit more about what's going on there. Yeah, and you've said this before, that in the absence of understanding or information, we oftentimes connect the dots in the most pathological way as possible. Right. And so I think that's what they're doing here, is that they're saying that Jesus is either going to go to the people that we don't want to be around, or he's going to go to his death, and either way, we don't want any part of that. Yeah. Um, and, of course, Jesus is going to bring the gospel to the Greeks and to all nations. And Jesus is going to go to his death. And so we actually are invited as, as followers of Christ to go with him into those things. But in the limited understanding that we have, we oftentimes think, no, 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 I don't want to go to that group that he's going to. Or I don't want to go to my death like he is. But, in fact, Jesus invites us to go to both of those places and eventually to heaven with him as well. 
the other interesting thing that this brings up for me about how they don't know where he's going, um, we're going to get to this. In John 14, when he starts the night before he's betrayed, mm -hmm. when he starts talking to his disciples, he, he says, um, don't let your hearts be troubled. Mm -hmm. He says, you know where I'm going, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And who is it? It's Thomas, who says in verse 5, we have no idea where you're going, okay? So even his disciples are somewhat confused about this idea of where Jesus is going. But then Jesus assures them. He says, I'm going to my Father. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you can't come to me unless you come. Uh, you can't come to the Father unless you come through me. But again, he's constantly trying to teach where I'm going is actually the right place to be going. Yeah, that's right. And I do think it is interesting that his disciples, even his disciples, don't understand what it is that he's, that he's talking about. Yeah. And there's times in the scripture where they'll look back and they'll remember something he had said. Oh, this is what he meant about this at that time. I wanted to point out, too, again, Super Bowl Sunday. So I wanted to point out with the, with the uh, religious leaders and then not being united with each other, but being united against Jesus. You know, it's sort of like we got the uh, Bucks, right? Bucks yeah. playing tonight yeah. against the, she the Chiefs, right? Right. And we decided that I was Mahomes and that he was Brady. I hope that's okay with everybody. Uh, but we got the Bucks against the, against the Chiefs, and they, and they don't actually really uh, like each other very much, but they can be united in their hatred of the Patriots. And so that's what we decided. I think that's true. Yeah, yes, right, right. That's true. And right. for those of you who uh, attend here who are from Maine, I know that you are out there. Um, sorry. <laughs> One other thing that I wanted to mention, too, just uh, about this... Um, opposition, right, that, that, that with Jesus. Um, so we have our own kingdoms that we set up, and uh, we, we, we do, we do uh, sense a threat sometimes from other people and other kingdoms. So yeah. like uh, the chief priests might have felt threatened by uh, the Pharisees, and the Pharisees might have felt threatened by the chief priests. Uh, but none of them knew that it was God who is opposing them himself. That's and and I think it's really important yeah. for us that, that we yeah. might get into some of these disagreements with, with people uh, and, and think that there's a person that is infringing on my, on my kingdom. And that's one thing. Uh, but we need to know when it's God who is opposing us. Yes. And I think that there are times throughout the scripture uh, where, where God is saying, um, in, in like Numbers and Deuteronomy, um, God set his... A hand against the evil, the, the wicked, the wicked, or he set his face against those who would do do evil. Um, two places in the New Testament, in James four six, and in First Peter five five, it says um, that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Uh, so I think that there's this this indication that we have to know. Uh, if, if we're going and going and going with our own decisions or our own path and we, we're sensing this opposition, it's really important for us to understand when it's God himself who is opposing us. Because for, for certain, when God is opposing us, it's time for us to repent, confess, and turn around. I can't tell you how many times um, I have been in one of those situations with somebody and I'll start to gripe to Jackie about it. And, you know, she's really good at listening. And then occasionally um, she will say something like, are you sure this isn't God trying to teach you something? Are you sure there isn't something that you're doing in the midst of this that isn't opposed to what God would call you to do? Mm. Those are humbling moments, mm -hmm. I will tell you. But they're also needed moments. Mm -hmm. um, I said this a couple weeks ago. One of the works of the Holy Spirit is conviction. 
and we need to be convicted sometimes mm -hmm. of, of what's going on because we're so sure that we're right, mm -hmm. you know? So, yeah, well, and I'll, and I'll just say with yeah. that too, having had a similar experience uh, in, in, my, in my marriage with Liz, uh, those times, uh, if I'm willing in those moments uh, to uh, have a, a soft heart, and an open mind, uh, if I'm willing in those moments to understand that there are times who the, where the, Lord, the Lord's hand will not uh, let me go further. We, we say all the time, right, God causes or allows all things. Yeah, yeah. But, but the, the uh, sort of flip side of that coin is that there are things that he will not allow. In yes. fact, they didn't let, God did not allow the people to take Jesus in right. this moment. So there are things that God simply will not allow. Yeah. And we have to know in our own lives when we've come up to a point like that where uh, he has said to us, you'll take no more steps. Yeah. All right, that last paragraph. And uh, again, sort of um, in terms of decorum, this sounds strange to me the first time I read it until I understand the context. Uh, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow uh, rivers of living water. Who would, just in the middle of something, stand up and scream something like that? Mm -hmm. Well, if you understand the concept, you'll know why, and I'll get to that in a second. Now, he said this about the Spirit, uh, whom, the water, uh, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. The, the Spirit had not yet been given. It's not that the Spirit wasn't active and alive. It's just that Jesus hadn't gone away yet and, and given the Spirit to uh, his followers as he did at Pentecost. That's what that's talking about. And the water is often related to the Holy Spirit of God. Mm -hmm. But why? Why does he stand up on the last day of the feast and, and, and cry this out? The reason is because on the last day of the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, the priests would go to um, uh, Siloam with a large, uh, uh, pure gold urn, very large, and they would fill it with the waters of Siloam. Those are sacred, holy waters. They'd fill it up, this urn, and then they would ceremoniously, it was called the water rite, they would ceremoniously carry this golden urn of water through the temple, and the people would gather around and they would have a, a, a way for the, the, you know, the procession to get through. But they would gather around and they would celebrate and they would, they would cheer that this water was coming through. And they would, and they would recite uh, from Isaiah and, and um, some of the other prophets about the salvation, the waters of salvation. And they, it, was a, it was sort of the crowning moment of of this Feast of Booze, and they would take it all the way through the temple, and they would take it to the Temple Mount, and then they would pour the water out on the Temple Mount, and there was a stone there, and they would start to beat the stone with sticks, which goes back to Moses when he, when he got the water out of the stone. So as they're doing this, and as they're beating the stone, um, and, and they're thinking back to Moses, and the water would come out for the people when they were in the Exodus, and they were in the wilderness, Jesus stands up and says, if you believe in me and, and understand the scriptures that I am the one, out of your heart will flow um, water, uh, living waters. And, and it reminds me again of something that Tom, our founding pastor, used to say, that when you are saved by Jesus, when the Holy Spirit invades your life, he takes your heart of stone that nothing can seem to penetrate. 
He will take your heart of stone and he will turn it into a heart of flesh. And now that heart of flesh is connected to God. And Jesus is saying, out of this, out of this heart of flesh will flow rivers of living water. Yeah. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I actually want to read uh, a little bit from that passage in a, in a moment. Um, but first, I, I was thinking about this, this feast and the, the preparation that would go into, oh, yeah. into the feasts. Uh, it, it amazes me that the people uh, would oftentimes be preparing for this, uh, these kinds of feasts for the, whole, for the whole year. They'd be looking forward to it. They'd be getting ready for it, preparing for it. Sometimes there would be travel involved. Uh, they would need to have certain things with them, like you talked about this, the, the, uh, the golden urn. Uh, I'm amazed at how much went into this, these corporate celebrations of the people of faith. And I think uh, there are times where we've, we, we lose that today uh, in our context. Uh, sometimes we lose sort of, because, because we've, we've made much of it, uh, much of our faith about convenience, um, it, sometimes we've lost this idea of preparation for going to meet with God and with his people. And uh, I got to thinking about that in both the worship areas and the small group areas, uh, that there's times that, that I, I think that I feel challenged by this kind of an idea that I would like uh, personally and for us as, as, as a church uh, to really prepare in some of these ways for when we're going to meet together with, with each other and with the Lord. Like when we're coming to a Sunday morning service, um, that we prepare in advance uh, for the text that we're going to be uh, uh, pre uh, preaching through, that we pre prepare in advance. Um, Malia Rogers has been putting out this, uh, this Spotify list of, of songs that, you, that we're going to be worshiping on in coming Sundays, uh, that we're learning those songs and thinking through those songs so that we're prepared to sing together uh, those songs. Uh, even things like, like, like uh, what time we arrive to church and being able to connect with each other beforehand and those sorts of things. Um, I, I think I feel very challenged um, by this preparation for the feast, and I think that that kind of a thing can actually um, uh, teach us on, on, on how we approach gathering with the Lord and with each other today. And I've even thought about that in the small group uh, area, area as well, uh, for when we're going to be gathering even in small groups as 8 or 10 or 12 people, uh, whether it's men's Bible study or women's Bible study or the redemption communities that we have in homes, um, that there's some, some richness about coming prepared uh, to be able to discuss and pray for one another. Um, in the early church, there was this idea that everybody who came would have uh, something to contribute, uh, a prayer, a song, a hymn, something that they would be able to contribute. And so I'm, I'm learning a lot from this, this feast discussion that I think that we are also, even today, as we meet with God and his people, that we're to prepare and come and, and be ready to, to have that experience with That's each other. That's really good. And even um, Jackie will tell you that um, I love preparing for our vacations or any time that we get to take a little trip together in, in March. We're going up to the camp in Iowa to do a, a, a marriage retreat. And, and I just, I love the preparation. I love talking about it. I love talking about, you know, when we land, we need to do this and we're going to go to the count. And it's all this preparation going into it. And, and she asked me a long time ago and, and has begun to understand why I love it so much. I said, I get as much fun out of the preparation of the trip as I do the trip itself. And so I think there's something there, too. When we prepare rightly for meeting God, we get something out of that as well. The Spirit moves in the preparation. I would even go so far as to say, if you've ever done this, I apologize. But I get annoyed when I'm in a church and somebody walks out and says, you know, 
the preacher walks out and says, you know, I, I, I'm sorry, I got so busy uh, with other things this week that I had no time to prepare my sermon, so I guess we'll just have to let the Holy Spirit move through me. And it just, it drives me crazy because I'm like, so the Holy Spirit, what you're saying to me is that the Holy Spirit is not present in preparation. He's only present when you're in trouble. That's what you're saying to me. And that drives me crazy. The Holy Spirit is as much involved in preparation for my sermon, for your music, as, as at any other time mm. we need to remember that. Is there anything else in there before we move to our close? Yeah, so, like so I did want to actually just read this out of Ezekiel 36. And um, this was the idea of replacing our, our heart of stone with the heart of flesh. And I just, I just thought the words here were, were super helpful. Um, in terms of what, what God is saying, uh, this is Ezekiel 36, uh, verses 24. Uh, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. And I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a, a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you. And I will remo remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you, cause you, to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Uh, and it goes on about all the fruit that we would see from having this new spirit, this new heart of flesh in us. And it just occurs to me as we started this passage uh, with people being so convinced in their own minds of, of who Jesus is that we miss Jesus. I think what, that, that there's a word for that. That word is hard-hearted. Uh, that we can oftentimes be so hard-hearted that we don't allow for God to move us. Uh, and, and, and what we're seeing at the end of this passage is exactly the opposite, uh, that we want to be a people who have had our, our stone hearts removed by Christ and be given a heart of flesh so that his spirit might move in and live within us. Uh, I, I think that that's what, um, in closing this passage, when he, when he says, come and drink, Come and drink, and your heart will actually have water flowing out of it. Um, I, what God is inviting us to do is to be so overtaken by him uh, that his spirit is just overflowing through our lives. And I think that's what was going on in previous passages when he says, unless you eat of my flesh and unless you drink of my blood, which the disciples had no idea what, what was being said there. What Jesus is saying is, unless you get this in you, Unless you have me in you uh, and replaced by a new heart and a new spirit, then you won't be able to live in the way that, that, that I've been asking you to. And again, you know how I love irony. Ezekiel writes that passage in the midst of the, some of the darkest days mm -hmm. in Israel's history. They're, they're in the exile, right. in the Babylonian exile. Right. So I want to I close with a little discussion about that last paragraph where Jesus says, if you thirst... Here you go. If you thirst, everyone thirsts. We have thirst where we're like, I, I need a glass of water. You know, we, we've been working out or working in the yard or whatever it is. I, we thirst. Um, but we also thirst spiritually. All of us are thirsting spiritually. Every single one of us is thirsting spiritually. We're thirsting in a way that's like, I, I got to find that thing that's going to make me whole. That There's that void in my heart. There's that... Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, the fact that eternity is in our heart, that we know there's something there. There's something that we're missing. We thirst for that. Jesus says, if you thirst, 
come and drink. Um, and we, when, it, when we thirst for liquid, let me just stay there for a second. When we thirst for liquid, understand that we thirst for different kinds of liquids depending on uh, what caused that thirst. I, I mentioned water. After, after working out, water is usually great. Sometimes you might go for Gatorade or something, but water is great. Let me talk about like when I eat a donut or a piece of cake or uh, a warm chocolate chip cookie from, from the oven, th there's only one thing that satisfies that thirst and that is a cold glass of milk, right? For those of you who are with me on this, right? Can I get, can I, you understand what I'm saying? Okay, so if I, if I eat a couple of nice warm chocolate chip cookies and chase it with a beer? No, no, no. Thank you, my brother. Yes. No. Or, or, or chase it, or, or chase it with, um, with Diet Mountain Dew, which I love in certain contexts, but not after. No, 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 no. You see what I'm saying? You see what I'm saying there? Okay. Here's one of the things that Jesus is trying to get across to us. That eternal thirst that we have, that thirst for that thing that we can't seem to connect with, we keep eating warm chocolate chip cookies and then going and drinking a beer and going, it's not working. Or drinking a Diet Mountain Dew, it's not working. We're drinking the things of this world thinking that will quench our thirst. And Jesus is saying that eternal uh, void in your soul, void in your heart thirst that you must satisfy, that is essential to satisfy, it comes from one place. That's from Jesus. Mm -hmm. That's from him. Mm -hmm. That's the gospel, folks. We need to hear that. Every time we, we gather, we need to hear that. Closing thoughts, remarks, yeah, just prayer, that, and, and communion? Just that I think that uh, there are times that we don't want to admit that we're thirsty. And one of, one of the things that I think Jesus is drawing us to and just appealing to sort of our most basic need, which would be the need for, to drink, uh, is that we, we have to admit, admit and confess that we are in need of his living water. And there's no shame in that. There's no shame in being open and broken and transparent about that. It's why we, we, we do our confession here in, the, in our service, uh, that we need this Savior Jesus who has come, uh, and that, our, that he, we need this new heart that he has to offer us and the Spirit to live within us. Yeah. So we'll take communion at this time. And uh, one, of the, one of the reasons that I love that we do this each week is that it is this reminder that we are hungry and thirsty for this uh, food and this drink that only God can give us, uh, that, that only he uh, can give us uh, what we need, that he himself is the bread of life, uh, that his blood was spilt uh, as atonement for our sin. And so if you have uh, your elements, uh, if, you re if you grabbed one as you came in, there's little self-serve elements. You can get one now as well as we respond. Uh, what we will do is we'll, we'll respond in worship and in taking communion together. The hope here is that we would not just uh, hear of the word of God, but that we would obey his word, that we would actually come to him and drink this living water, that we would take of his body and we would take of his blood. Uh, the bread represents the body of Christ given for us. Uh, the, the blood represents, or the cup represents the blood of Christ spilled for us that through his body and his blood, we have forgiveness of sins, that he came, he died on the cross, he was buried uh, the next day, and he rose on the third day with new life for all who believe. So let me pray for us, and then we'll respond with worship and in taking this communion. 
Lord God, we do praise you that you are the bread of life, that you are the living water. Lord, that you gave your body, you spilled your blood uh, for salvation for all who would believe. Lord, we pray that you be glorified in us, your church, as we seek to live out this new life of the Spirit, as we seek to live with hearts of flesh. Lord, may we, we be blessed by you and be a blessing for others as this living water is flowing out of our hearts because of the work that your Spirit has done with us. Lord, we pray that uh, if there's any uh, here to even today that have been hard-hearted, uh, Lord, who still have a heart of stone, we pray that you would, uh, you would cause uh, the, these, these folks to reach out to you and be given a new heart, a heart of flesh, even today. So God, we praise you. We declare you as our salvation. We pray that even now as we take this communion, that you would bless the elements, the bread and the cup, and that you'd be glorified in us, your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. But now they'd fall But you have never felt me Waiting for change to come Knowing the battle's won for you have never failed me Your promise still stands Great is your faithfulness Your faithfulness I'm still in your hands This is my confidence you never fail me, yeah. Jesus, you're still enough. Your word will come to pass. My heart will sing your praise again Jesus, you're still enough Keep me within your love My heart will sing your praise again Your promise still stands Great is your faithfulness Your faithfulness I'm still in your hands This is my confidence You've never failed Your 
your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. Never failed me yet. blessing over us as we make our way out. Um, it's Orientation Sunday, so this is a time once a month where we try to get to know and welcome any new people here. And so if that's you, if you're looking to meet uh, some of the staff, we're going to be available, some of the staff and pastors on the patio. And so what we'll do is if you're new and you're looking to get more connected or learn more about us, I'll meet you at the Connect Desk right after this. 
And we'll go on a quick campus tour. It shouldn't take very long. And then you get to say hi to a few folks, okay? So let me read from number six as a blessing over us. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Go and live all of life all for Jesus. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.